Hello and welcome to Value Driven Data Science, brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting. I'm your host, Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and today I'm joined by guest Hendrik Dreyer to talk about bridging the chasm between data science, engineering, and the business. Hendrik, welcome to the show. Hi, Genevieve. Uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming. Hendrik Dreyer is both a qualified data scientist and a qualified engineer. He worked extensively in a range of senior software engineering roles in both South Africa and Australia prior to making the transition into data science. And he is now the manager of analytics capability at Australia's largest superannuation fund, Australian Super. What makes Hendrik very interesting to me, however, is that he's managed to leverage his unusual background to carve a niche for himself as almost a mediator between team data science and team engineering with very impressive results. And that's why I thought he'd be the perfect guest to have on the show today. But uh, we'll discuss, discuss that later in the episode. Before we go on though, uh, first of all, we need to issue a disclaimer. So I'll leave that to you, Hendrik. Thanks, uh, Genevieve. Yeah, just for your listeners, so um, I'm partaking in this podcast in a personal capacity, so therefore all opinions, viewpoints and remarks added by, by me on my own and not necessarily those of Australian Super. With that out of the way, Hendrik, you've built an incredibly impressive career for yourself, um, first as a software engineer, and I'd imagine that that software engineering skill set would be in very high demand. Yet there must have been some point when you woke up and said to yourself, I don't want to be a software engineer anymore. I want to give this whole data science thing a go. Can you tell us about your journey from software engineering to data science? Yes. Um, and the, 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 the phrase you used there, woke up, is <laughs> that, that's, that's pretty relevant. Um, so my journey that that got me to where I am today, um, standing in in the analytics industry, is um, obviously um, I started off. My, my background is in electronic engineering and applied maths, um, but but I spent most of my time as as a software engineer, going through various senior software roles in in various industries, uh, ranging from telecommunications, retail, military, motor racing, rail, automotive uh, retail. Uh, building software systems of and solutions of, of various shapes and sizes for these industries. Um, and, you know, software development is, um, it's a tough gig, you know, it, it's hard work. Um, and uh, th there is this, this thing going around where you can hit burnout as a software engineer. Um, and after spending 20 years, 20, 20 plus years as a software engineer, it might have been part due to that but also partly due to um, trends that I've seen in the industry that started uh, drawing my attention. Um, so I think it was around about 2012 when I, I became acutely aware of this thing called data science, you know, reading up on the internet, you know, seeing articles coming through. And um, the industry was making a, a real big hoo-ha about data science. You know, you, I, I'm sure you know the title, data science being the sexiest job, you know, yep. 21st century, all yep. of that. And, and, and that that had a certain uh, effect on, on everybody yep. in, in, in the IT industry. So, um, but I think the, the thing that, that really I found really fascinating was that, um, you know, 
In came this new thing called data science, which apparently uses data to create software. You know, that just just, just blew me over. You know, I was always writing software to create data, and yes, this anomaly that works the reverse way around. Um, and I guess that's how I really got interested in, into that. So around about 2016, um, uh, I decided to to start a site business, which um, we developed a, a a CRM system, a customer relationship management system, which is amalgamated with a sales reporting system um, to write that in a in a cloud based environment. And um, this was for the automotive uh, retail industry. And um, so obviously we were capturing customer data. And with that came all of these questions. Um, well, how can we use this data to better understand the customer? You know, how to better deliver uh, service? You know, what's the propensity to buy? What's the propensity to take out insurance? What's the propensity to take out finance? All of these questions started popping up. Um, and, and that just drew me deeper into, you know, the field of data science. Um, but I actually got so involved in it that I thought, you know what, I actually want to go and educate myself properly in, in, the, in the field of data science. So around about 2018, I, I quit my job and I went back uh, full-time to university and I enrolled for a master's degree in data science with James Cook University. Um, uh, completed degree, the degree around about 2020, just before that, got a job at ANZ, um, actually as a data analyst. And that's how I made my way into data science, um, coming out of software engineering, going back to university, coming back into the industry again. Um, and that's why I find myself today. Your journey into data science in many ways mirrors my own journey. Whereas you started off with the software development side and then went back and did a master's in order to learn the data analysis side. I started off with the data analysis side. So I originally trained as a statistician and an actuary. And then when I decided that I wanted to move into data science, I went back and did a master's of computer science in order to learn that software development and programming side of data science. Yes. And, and I think, um, you know, we, there's always this technical component to data science. You know, you, you have to be able to, to, to write code to, to wrangle data. You know, you know, if we really take data science and, and nitpick it at the core of its heart, <laughs> that's the skill set yeah. you need. So yes, you know, you know, programming skills is of utmost importance. Um, I think, specifically, me being a software engineer all my all my life, that so that that portion came naturally to me when I was studying, um, and 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 I I picked that up pretty quickly studying, you know, learning R and Python. I used to you know, do code my whole life in C and C++. Yeah. So the transition wasn't that that big. Um, but the real interesting thing about, and I think this was, uh, you know, the, the, there's a few things that happens that that, that 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 drew my attention to data science. But when I was studying it, um, what really clicked for me was um, how interesting data becomes when you really put your attention to it and you start working through a data set and you start getting this intuitive feel for the data set. It's almost as if it's talking to you. Um, and then if you go through whatever depth analysis on the data, it's always interesting what it then ends up telling me about humanity or myself, the things I see in, in the data. Uh, and that was a fresh, that was a fresh new um, type of input uh, into my career as opposed to looking at code my whole life. Where code used to do that same thing for me during my software career, 
now data you know has taken over that and, and it's offered this new type of realism. So this episode of the podcast was inspired by an anecdote you shared with me the other day about how you'd managed to carve a niche for yourself by bridging the chasm that exists between data scientists, engineers, and the business in general. Would you be able to share that anecdote with the listeners? Yeah, I, I mean, finding finding my niche in the market was was probably driven by necessity in, in a certain sense. Um, you know, I, I went at I went back to university at the ripe age of forty eight, quit my job, went back to university full time. Um, you know, came out of that having you know racked up fifty thousand dollars worth of of student debt. You know, my, my super took a knock for two years. Um, I had to get back into the job market. So what do you do? You you go to LinkedIn, you search under jobs, you type in data scientist, and you know there's just a million and one data science jobs coming up. And I think, well, you know, I slap my hands together and go like, right, here we go. There's there's so much work out there. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be in a job next week. Sent out the first um, resume, didn't hear anything. Sent out a few more, didn't hear anything. Sent out a whole bunch more. I probably sent out forty. I had 40 job applications going out on LinkedIn. Not one recruiter phoned me back. Not one hiring manager phoned me back, um, which really made me stood back and said, well, hang on, there's something wrong here. You know, I, I, I've, I've done the hard yards to go back to a university, study a contemporary master's degree in data science. Surely there should be recognition for that in the industry. And it is as if I was talking to a void started speaking to um, to recruiters, started speaking to hiring managers, and I just got this sense that, first of all, they don't really know what data scientists do. And secondly, they weren't aware that, you know, people are starting to earn master's degrees in data science. Um, so obviously, you know, university academia has caught on to the fact that we need the skill set of data scientists. They started rolling out courses, you know, pushing people through, producing official, you know, like official data scientists, and off you go to market. But it wasn't really received well by industry, by the market. Um, so I, I decided, well, the next best thing, I need to get a job. I need to start paying bills, you know get a job as a data analyst. So got into ANZ as a data analyst and um, was hunting around for data scientists, trying to look at what these data scientists look like, you know. Um, maybe before I tell that story, I just could come back to the LinkedIn business, um, you know, looking at at LinkedIn, not getting any uh, uh, response back from hiring managers. So so the next best thing I did was to upgrade my, my LinkedIn um, account to the premium account to start looking at my competition out in the market. And to my surprise, when I looked at all of the other applicants for every job I applied for, I was probably the only guy there that didn't have a PhD. Um, so I thought, well, that is a real problem because I can understand why people would choose someone with a PhD over a guy with a master's degree. It just makes sense, economic sense. You know, I'm a hiring manager. I'm sitting with 40 CVs on my desk, you know. The first guy you're going to chuck off is the guy with the master's degree. You're going to go for the PhD guys. It's just you know that these guys are higher educated. Um, so that I seen that as as a barrier going forward, and I, and I had to find a way around the, uh, this. And it was annoying at the time. <laughs> I have to tell you, um, 
So back, you know, I went to the bank, got a job as a data analyst, and started looking at what these data scientists do, these PhD data scientists do. Um, and, and, and I saw various things that I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe there's ways we can do a lot of this stuff better. You know, the, the question of data science quality popped up, all of those things. I started seeing a whole lot of gaps. Um, and the gap that I saw was this void between the engineering sector and the data science sector. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to march right into that gap and sell my skills there. And while I'm there, you know, sell myself as a data scientist as well. Um, and that's that's basically how I I, I became aware of that that void and realized that my skill sets, you know, the combination of software engineering and, and data science made me really effective um, in that gap. And it's a place where I can really add value. Yeah. One, one thing I find funny about your story about how um, you were struggling to get a job because you didn't have a PhD and the others, uh, and you only had a master's. Um, when I finished my PhD in statistics, um, a number of years back, I was um, looking for a job. Um, I want at the time I was wanting to get a job in quantitative finance, and I thought, you know, I have a PhD in statistics. Um, I'm an actuary. I'm certain that they'll want to hire me. And I remember a hiring manager, a um, recruiter, saying to me, "Oh, well, but you don't have a master's in quantitative finance. You should go back and do one of those." <laughs> And, yes. <laughs> and I, I, I just spent five years doing a PhD. There was no way I was doing another degree at that time. Yeah, I don't think it's sometimes as if industry don't really um, understand, you know, the blood, sweat and tears that you go through, the time that you take off, you know, the money you invest, you're coming back and, and maybe, you know, my expectation was high because I was definitely wrapped up in the hype of industry. You know, I was reading articles, you know, I was, I was counting the money already, you know, I'm going to land a job that pays big money because I'm now an official uh, qualified uh, data scientist. And there's all these stories going around of people that just happen to become data scientists because they love to fill around with data. Yeah. They might not even have a bachelor's degree behind their name, but they're earning $300,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's like a bucket of cold water, walking into industry with all of your credentials and nothing happens. So, the, you know, it, it was a reality check um, for me. And I had to stand back and reevaluate my expectation that I that I had, and I had to reevaluate how the industry sees data scientists, and you know all various levels of data scientists. Whether you are a guy coming out of high school that's just really good at Excel and know how to wrangle data and sell yourself to data scientist because he's working for a small little company and he just got that job title, or whether you truly someone that did a PhD in some other really exotic, you know, modeling framework and, and you came in that way, or whether you want the newfound contemporary ones with uh, like a contemporary master's degree behind, you know, I had to realize that uh, I don't think the market was really understanding all of these different elements. And you have to go out there and explain it to people. And you've got to be very diligent in, you know, making sure they understand who you are what your capabilities and sometimes you've got to tell them this is what you need you might be looking for that person but you're really looking for this other type of person to fill this particular role that you that you want um so there is some legwork to do yeah and and it sounds like you did that legwork and uh once you convinced them so how did you convince these people that you know your bosses that you could um speak data scientist and data engineer i mean what result did you 
present that demonstrated your worth? Um, I think so. So it never came to me. It never came to be that I was standing in front of a PowerPoint presentation, actually talking about modeling. Mm-hmm. That that was that that almost never happened. Where we where I where I think I added the most value was when um the when ANZ wanted to build a a analytics environment on GCP, um in which all of the data of the bank or a large portion of the data in the bank flows into GCP, um, Google Cloud Platform, and then the data scientists can roll, you know, log into that environment and um, use various Google uh, t- tools on the Google Platform to do data science in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I put my hand up for that project and said, listen, I, I think I understand what should be built. And because uh, I understand how the data scientist's mind work, I understand how data science work. And I really started socializing a lot of ideas around the data science lifecycle um, and uh, just putting myself out there, talking about data science, um, you know, sharing my knowledge about that. And people started trusting me in terms of what I was, I was saying because it was, um, you know, in line with what the, the real data scientists in the bank uh, were saying. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that this environment that we started building for data scientists that was a real challenge because the the original requirements written for this environment was really written by engineers and business people. So it sounded almost, you know, like a data scientist that had two guns stuck in his back reading these requirements. <laughs> it wasn't really written for the data scientist. So I started socializing the idea that, listen, we're building this environment for data scientists. So you have to think like a data scientist. What will a data scientist need in this environment? What will they do in this environment? And that started reshaping the requirements more towards what data scientists want. And I started communicating that out to the data science community, and they started becoming more comfortable with that, saying, oh, well, you know what, this guy sounds like a data scientist. He sounds more like he understands what we need in that environment, as opposed to a data engineer that's just going, this thing, you're going to get your data there, and then you can go and do stuff there. Okay, well, you know, so so that 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 put me in a, in a, in a, in a really good spot to add value, to bring, to bring engineering, business, and data science together. It was really the platform that brought those three together. So it sounds like you are acting as sort of a translator between the two groups of people. A lot of that, yes. Even now in my day, in my day job, a lot of data concepts has to be, and analytics concepts have to be, you know, explained in business terms. A lot of business terms have to be broken down into engineering terms. Um, so there's a lot of translation going on. You're right. I think what's really interesting about your story is in my last job, I basically ended up in more or less the opposite um, situation from what you just described. So in that job, the data scientists wanted a data, data, data science platform, as every data scientist always wants in every organisation. Um, prior to that, we were just um, working with uh, headless Linux VMs. And for yeah. any um, listener who hasn't uh, worked on a headless Linux VM, oh, um, programming in Vim. So this is basically just programming on a little black screen uh, with white text and um, nothing pretty or helpful. And if you make a typo, um, you get to play Hunt the Missing Comma and things like that. So it's not a fun environment to be working in. 
Well, well, kudos, Genevieve, <laughs> and respect for the fact that you can, um, you know, you can code in VI. That is a very sort of the special skill in certain portions of the industry. I never, ever want to do it again. I used to have a little cheat sheet um, that I'd take with me everywhere so that I'd remember all the commands. <laughs> but Yes, that's right. Uh, I, I, I've, you know, the first systems that I worked on, you know, coming into industry back in the early '90s was uh, Linux uh, boxes, mm. Linux distributions, and and um, I was working for a company in South Africa which um, manufactured missiles, a military company. And um, my first job there as a junior engineer, they gave me a PC and they said, "Here is Slackware version number one, version one point two point three point four. I will never forget it. You know, and oh, it was on a, on a CD." And, you, and I had to install it. And, and I still remember I had to answer something like 85 yes or no questions of what should be installed into the kernel oh, no. of, this, of this Linux machine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I became a, a very acquainted with VI uh, back oh, yeah. then. Yeah, well, that was what we were working in. And we wanted a data science platform. So we kept on saying so the people in the data science team kept on saying to the data engineers we want a data science platform please build us a data science platform and the data science the data engineers who were actually very lovely people would say sure we'll build you a data science platform what do you want to do with it and we'd say we want to do data science and you can imagine the stalemate that ended up um, resulting from this you know the data engineers wanted to be told exactly what we wanted to use it for. And the data scientists were just saying, we want a data science platform. Everyone thought that everyone else was deliberately trying to um, get in the way. And each side thought, you know, the other lot are just stupid and pig-headed. I eventually organized a meeting to get everyone in the room. And we all had a nice little conversation and discovered, you know, the data engineers were just wanting to be told, what does a data science platform actually mean? So um, I actually ended up getting a textbook and some um, some of these schematics that you can find on things like um, the in the Microsoft Azure documentation. And I actually drew a little architectural diagram of this is what a data science platform looks like. So I basically translated it into data engineer speak. And I probably didn't do the best architectural design ever but once I could actually show them we want you to build this um, they were actually pretty happy to go along with that. Yes uh, at the end of the day a, a data engineer or a software engineer functions on requirements. Mm. Give me requirements because you know you, you tell them what to do or what you want through requirements yeah. otherwise they will build what they think should go in there yeah. and, it, and it will be very engineered infuse the solution that pops out on the other side yeah so again it's that collaboration between data scientists and engineers and it starts on specifically that environment where you where you where you build a platform for 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 data scientists to work on Mm. um so good job then in in terms of getting that right um (laughs) now i've done that twice now once at uh, australian super and and one at, at anz um, and depending on, again, how regulated your environment is, um, it can become quite a, a challenge to create those environments to be conducive for data scientists to do their work on, um, to make sure that um, 
the, the, the data that you work on there is not unnecessarily exposed um, because you need to have compute instances that you can spin up to apply computational power to algorithms that you want to apply. You need to have enough uh, storage space for data to be moved around and to store there. Um, so security is, is a huge issue. Um, and depending on your organization's risk profile, um, your, your risk partner may be very difficult allowing you to do certain things in that environment. And I think when you're building one of these, you really need to have a data at least one data scientist working alongside the data engineers so that they can, um, as the data engineer builds something, the data scientists can check it from a data science point of view. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, but, but then again, you know, where do you get that dwelling data scientist that does that you know data scientists want to do data science you know i'm you know as a data scientist you know you want to go out wrangle the data get the insights you know build the predictive models that's the things that you want to do so if you tell a data scientist listen we need you for 45 percent of your time to work alongside the data engineers writing requirements they're not that keen on doing that although it's very important to get it straight from the horse's mouth as, as to say oh i put up my i put up my hand to do it just because i was sick of working in vim Right, <laughs> right. That, that's, a, that's a good motivation as well, yes. You said that you've built this platform at ANZ and then you went on to do it at Australian Super. Um, when you um, did it the second time round, um, you must have, um, there must have th been things that you learnt the first time round where you thought, um, oh, uh, this is a mistake I made the first time round, I'm going to correct it the second time round, or... Um, I did this right the first time around and I want to carry that over. What were your biggest learnings uh, when you um, moved from ANZ to Australian Super to do those two platforms? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it was a good learning school at ANZ doing it the first time there. And I, I think the, the, the single biggest thing that you've got to realise is that you have to be able to work with multiple stakeholders in the company mm to achieve such or you know to achieve that type of technical achievement and, and and build that type of asset so you engage various partners you're working with your your engineering partners you're working with security partners you're working with data governance partners you're working with your risk partners um they have to come on that journey um in order to 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 build this asset under the right conditions in the right spot um under the right policies um, so that it is a usable asset that can add value. Um, so, so that that you know, as multiple stakeholder management in a job like that is crucial. Mm -hmm. um, bring everyone in on the journey, and then also socializing this idea to senior stakeholders to understand that this thing that we're building, you know, what's the value in this? You know, what does it go, what, what does it mean? What what uh, how will it add value to to the business going forward? And then also, obviously, very important, bring your data science stakeholders on the journey as well. Um, so in Australian Super, we had a data scientist that was very closely involved with the development of the platform. So by the time the platform was developed, you know, um, at least one of the scientists were very familiar with the environment, understood, you know, how the ways of working work in terms of how data is ingested, um, how to productionize models, um, getting them into production, and have then wrapped um, you know, enough time shoulders with the engineers so that that barrier broke, started breaking down as well. So our data scientists are now very 
comfortable, you know, uh, working with the engineers, you know, whether it is data ingestion or uh, whether it is um, doing some configuration on the platform, that barrier has now been broken down. Yeah, and, and that's good. Uh, and I mean, my personal experience is I've found most of the data engineers I've worked with, once you get to know them and work with them, uh, they're incredibly helpful people and they're often um, very um, willing to share all their knowledge and you can learn a lot from them. Yeah. You're 100% right. I mean, uh, again, to come back to the you know, the software engineering, um, the status of software engineering at this stage, I think it's very mature. Um, and and software development has come a long way, specifically when it came to code reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, I think I think engineers have learned to work and to review people's code that aren't maybe hundred percent proficient in programming, mm-hmm. and to be a bit more conducive and give more constructive feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, because code reviews, you know, I've I've been through a few very bloody code reviews in my life, mm-hmm. and you walk out of the pretty pretty badgest. <laughs> and you know, I think industry, the way things have been done, has matured a lot over the the last couple of decades. Um, and and at the end of the day, it's just code that we write. We want it to be proficient. We want it to be readable. We want it to be maintainable. Um, and that's that's the the education that has to be infused. And I think a lot of engineers have, specifically senior engineers that I've worked with uh, throughout the the the, the, the industry, um, specifically in the um, financial industry. They've come to realize that, and and that's the way that they work is to, to to be gentle with with other parties that that might not be you know that proficient at at programming. Oh gosh, when you're talking about um, bloody code reviews, I remember um, this is not coding, um, but I used to write board papers. So I was a um, head of analytics and actuarial at a small Victorian insurance. Um, agency. Uh, and I used to have to write board papers associated with things like pricing. And we got a new CEO and I love him for this. Um, this is one of the best things anyone did to me in my entire career. But um, he took one of my board papers and went through it line by line and told me how to rewrite every single line to make it better. You know, this doesn't make sense. You need to explain this better. No, what are you talking about here? Don't know. And I remember walking out of that meeting and just wanting to burst into tears. But yeah, that's brutal. Oh yeah, it was brutal. Uh, but the thing was, it was such a horrible experience that I never wanted to go through it again. So I made sure that the next paper I wrote was a hundred times better. <laughs> yes, uh, that is really that is old school. We usually uh, we ha- used to tell the joke about you know who who um, who sets the coding standards in a company in the old days. You know, it was it was the 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 loudest jerk in the room oh, yeah. that shouted the hardest. That was the guy or girl who made the coding rules. You know, now we've come to a point where, okay, if someone needs to do a piece of coding, first thing you ask is, what is the, where's the coding standard? Give me the coding standard. Let me read through that. I'll write my code according to that. That mitigates so much of the problem that will come in, you know, come out in a review uh, later on. And it just makes things so much uh, more transparent. Yeah, you don't get the equivalent of the Oxford comma. You know, do you, That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to, I used to, when I was editing people's work, um, I used to have this running joke with one of the people members in my team. She knew I hated Oxford commas, so she'd keep on putting them in so that I'd remove them. 
that he's men. Oh yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. She 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 knew that they would always be cut out, and um, I knew she'd always put them in. Yeah. <laughs> but at the end of the day, we need reviews to, which is part of that quality process um, to infuse quality. It's just one of those things that have to happen, um, which you know. Which which will lead us into another direction of, of the whole agile um, movement. You know, we, what is the place of agile in data science? Personally, I think agile is um, uh, from 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 a work methodology point of view. And it might be, it depends on. You know, I was I came out of the old old school where projects you know were strictly run according to a waterfall method. Okay, so the first time I experienced agile in the bank, I thought this was how can anybody create something according to this uh, work methodology? Um, but I've come to fall in love with the methodology over the years. And one thing that I've realized it is it is actually a fantastic people development tool because people get the opportunity to speak to their work, demonstrate their work, talk to people about it. We're in the old dispensation not so much you know you're you're a software developer you sit in the in the in the corner you do your development and you know it gets integrated into a large system and, and that's it you never really get to talk to people on a specific platform um about what you what you did where agile does that now how that then relates to data scientists um you know that's that could be interesting discussion in itself data science are supposed to be by default people that tell people about what they do, you know, socialize their findings, good at storytelling, have all of those qualities. Um, so I see a, def- a definite synergy to, to infuse data science with, with, with uh, agile um, elements. I think that's an interesting point you raised. Uh, and I it never had crossed my mind before about um, agile being good for team development. I was actually working on a project in um, using the agile methodology during COVID and each morning we'd have, you know, the daily stand-up. And it was one of the few times each day when I actually got to be in the same virtual room as other human beings. And it came to be something that I actually looked forward to. That's right. You know, you, 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 I mean, it all depends on, there's a lot of variables floating around in agile and, and we're talking now specifically about the scrum methodology. Mm. You know, as you said, you've got certain ceremonies that you attend um, where, where, where you can speak your mind or report back or ask questions. Um, and, and I think that um, I, I've seen very introverted people, you know, come to open up during going through these ceremonies just because they have the opportunity to speak to their work. Um, so that's why I made the, you know, the, the comment that I think it's it's a fantastic people development tool. And then it obviously also uh, depends a lot uh, on your Scrum Master. You know, I, I have seen Scrum Masters which are just magic the way they run, you know, the Agile board and, you know, distribute work and, you know, balance tasks and, you know, pull people in. Um, and then I've seen Scrum Masters that's not that good. So uh, I uh, I think the Scrum Master has got a lot um, of, of input. Um, do we get Scrum Masters that really, un- see now we need to go and find a Scrum Masters that that, that understands data science. <laughs> if, we want to, if we want to pull them into, into the foray and, and apply the agile methodology uh, to data science. Yeah. So, so there's, there's probably a, a gap open there as well for, for Scrum Masters to fill out going forward. We had a Scrum Master who I think she might have been ex-military. Um, she was, at the very least, she was in the military reserve. And I think that helped her um, keep order in that group. 
you're right. You have to be a bit regimented to be a scrum master to keep everyone in line. You know, um, it's specifically in stand-ups in the morning, they they tend to sometimes, you know, there's too much talking. Um, talk to the point. Talk to the card. Um, we all need to get back to our jobs and uh, carry on with, with the day. So, are there any actions you'd recommend um, to each of these different groups of people? Um, that uh, we've referred to in this episode in order to help bridge that divide um, that exists between data science, data engineering, and the business within their own organization? Yeah, I think the 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 piece of advice I can give for data scientists is to, um, to first of all, realize that you know, a, po- a large portion of their day job is being a software developer. And that alone is worth the while to start reading up on things like uh, DevOps and uh, CICD, continuous integration to con- continuous development. Maybe start understanding the, da- the, the data engineering landscape and the software engineering landscape a bit better. And then the great opening point would be to walk over to this engineering side and say, hey, have you got a repository where I can check my code? That is a great opener. You know, that is just, you'll you'll catch them on the right foot when you ask that. (laughs) Um, So, you know, start talking to engineers, explaining to them what you do, what you want. Um, They need requirements to go by. Tell them about what you're creating. Tell them about this model that you create. It needs to be stored somewhere. Can Can we stick a version to this? You know, how do we get it out of this place? How do we put it in another container and, and attach API to it? You know, so th- think along those lines, but it's definitely um, a question of breaking down the wall and just start talking. That, that's the best advice I think I can, can give to data scientists. Good advice. Before we go, is there anything on your radar in the AI data and analytics space that you think is going to become important in the next three to five years? Um, yeah, there's a few things I, I would encourage uh, data engineers out there to to lean into um, you know ML ops and and ML to to pick up those skills. I think they're going to be very valuable going forward. That is a a skill set in industry that's that's desperately needed right now. Uh, I, I think we're going to for the data scientists you know become become cognizant of structured workflows. You know, the whole productionization of science work, data science workflows, um, transparency, accountability, repeatability, explainability, um, which feeds into the whole regulatory requirement. I think looking at data going forward and data science, there's only going to be more regulation coming our side, uh, our way, yeah. um, not less. Um, uh, so, so brace yourself for that. And the better you can standardize your workflow the better you will be able to answer those audit questions when they do come your way. Um, personally, um, I have a few pet hobbies, you know, in the back of my mind that I keep on um, thinking about. One is the whole concept around model classification frameworks. Um, and always when I when I tell data scientists about this, I get a bit confused about the, the term model classification. So it's it's not it's not models that classify inference. It is classifying the model actually. So, and the best way to describe this is, you know, not all models are created equal. You know, you have AI models that sits in the Tesla that makes life and death uh, decisions yeah. uh, when it goes onto autopilot. And then you have models that we built for educational purposes on, on uh, Coursera, which that's, that's how much they're worth. You know, <laughs> they're only there for educational purposes. The good old cat and dog classifier. 
Yeah, or IRIS or, you know, the, the Titanic data set model that you get out of that, you know, typical things like that. So I'm, I'm looking at industry and uh, I'm, I'm amazed that industry hasn't come up with a model classification framework. And I'm looking at the Google Center and, and the, the, the Amazons and the, the Microsofts to come up with this framework to say, well, you know, if you want to build a model that influence people in X, Y, and Z ways, then this model should be qualified according to this framework. And there's a set framework that you have to apply to the development of that model, which can start with the data. You know, is the data treated in a specific way? Is it stored in a specific way? Is it measured in a specific way for equality and ethics and all of those things? When you build the model, under what conditions was it built? Under what conditions was it test? To get certain quality infused into that model. And, you know, if you can prove that you've built that model according to those steps in that framework, then that model class can be classified on a specific level. Gold standard. Yes. So, so I'm, I'm really looking around for something like that to pop out. I think that's something we miss, and that will give us a lot of, and that will feed a lot into structurizing, you know, the data science method um, and, and, and put more uh, rigor on, on what data science do. Yeah. So that's the one thing that I look at. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's basically it. Is, is that one? Um, oh, yeah. The other thing I'm, I'm also very interested in and, and I hope would be addressed in the future is the way that, um, you know, some of the data science API um, frameworks that's out there like TensorFlow and the like, fast AI. I would really like to see some of these frameworks um, produce more metadata around the inference points that they serve. Um, at this stage, you know, an inference point is served and it's a number or it's a yes and a no. Um, I would like to see a, a whole bunch of metadata delivered with that point so that we can determine from that inference point which model served it, trace back which code trained that model, which data set was used to, to run the, 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 um, the, the code on, so that we have that full uh, transparency. So then we can send out inference out into the big open world. When we do pick up one or come across one in whatever dispensation, we actually know exactly where it comes from. So better audit trails, basically. Absolutely, yes. And is there any final advice you'd like to give to organizations looking to maximize the value of their data? Um, yeah, I think the... That you know, to to add value to data, to monetize it, very difficult. Um, one one thing I would encourage industry to not discount is the intangible benefits of um, up, you know, doing uplift to 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 the way uh, we we do work. Um, usually, if we uplift our ways of working, we get more structured, we get more uh, rigor into what we do. It lowers the risk profile. Um, in terms of what we might expose the company to. I think that gets overseen a lot. You know, if, if this model isn't directly earning revenue for us, then we deem it as a failure. No, there's a lot that happens from the moment we touch the data until we produce the model, which we can build in to minimize risk. And that is a massive benefit that's overlooked a lot of times. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, we've just about run out of time. For listeners who want to learn more about you or get in contact, what can they do? Um, I'm happy for them to contact me on my um, LinkedIn profile. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this episode. 
Thank you. Okay, well, um, thank you for joining me today, Hendrik. Thank you uh, for having me, Genevieve. It was uh, good uh, talking to you. It's been great talking to you. And for those in the audience, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Genevieve Hayes, and this has been Value Driven Data Science brought to you by Genevieve Hayes Consulting.